Hello, welcome to In the Kitchen with Brett Thorne, a food service industry podcast by Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Senior Food and Beverage Editor Brett Thorne, wishing you a happy new year as this is my first podcast of 2023. For many people, January is, of course, a time to make a fresh start, to resolve to turn over a new leaf or, or whatever catchphrase you want. I personally do not make resolutions, or at least not on January 1st. I make resolutions all the time, trying to do things better, adjust my quirks for better or worse, to exercise more, eat more healthfully, not be such a curmudgeon, or maybe be more of a curmudgeon and put up with less of people's nonsense. It all really depends on the situation. Obviously, at this time of year, public relations companies pitch a lot of resolution-related ideas to me. Many of them are about dry January, through which people resolve not to drink alcohol for a month. Or veganuary, or maybe it's veganuary. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, But for that, people resolve to give up eating animal products for a month. I have no intention of giving up meat, but I do understand the compunction. As one friend of mine explained his own choice to become vegan to me, he said, better for me, better for you, better for the animals, and better for the planet. And I saw no reason to argue with him. So, why not try being vegan for a month and see if you like it? You might. And I read somewhere that it takes 21 days to break a habit. So, taking a whole month off from doing something seems like a reasonable amount of time to see if you really can stop doing it. But I'm not sure why January is the month for that. Why not July? Or July 15th to August 15th? Instead of dry January, you could easily do dry July. But it does seem to me that if you really need to stop drinking, a month probably isn't enough. One friend of mine who suffered from opioid addiction also decided to quit drinking for a year when he was out of rehab, which seemed logical. And after that year, he found that he didn't miss it, and he still isn't drinking as far as I know. Good for him. At any rate... I think all of us are on life's journey together, trying to do better, to be better, whatever that means to you and to those around you. Uh, my guest for today's podcast is pretty early on his journey. He's a, he's a young man named Jaquad Austin, who just graduated from the Culinary Institute of America in 2020. Uh, but he already has cooked in some of New York City's fanciest restaurants, and he has his own cookie baking business called Jaquad's Twists. He's quite an interesting guy, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now, here's Jaquad Austin. Nice to meet you, or to see you again, because I ate your delicious food at the Beard House, where yeah. you were cooking the dinner. And you, I, I'm looking at your, uh, your bio, and you've done all the right things. You went to the Food and Finance High School, and you cooked up with CCAP, and you went to the Culinary Institute of America. And you have like a, a baking company, right? Uh, Jaquat right. Twist? Yeah, Jaquat's Twist is a cookie company um, that I recently started. I'm starting with cookies. Um, I plan on moving on to um, at-home meal kits of some sort in the future, um, cakes and some other stuff that I have in my back pocket. Well, and part of your fellowship with the Beard Foundation, you you developed some sort of meal kit. Is that right? Uh, yeah, so with the James Beard Fellowship, we developed a meal kit that basically consists of 
an appetizer, a main, and then you could do a dessert or a third course or a drink if you wanted to. Um, and for me, I decided to do a appetizer, main course and dessert. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, well, why, why don't we talk about what you did for that meal kit since we're, since we're talking about that and then we'll yeah, talk. Sure. So talk all about your meal kit. Yeah. So, um, with the meal kit, I drew from like French inspiration cause I'm classically trained in French cuisine. Um, most of my life has been in fine dining. So, um, I thought that I would start off by doing a French salad. So basically um, bib lettuce, lardons, um, some snippets of chive. Um, I had some candy peca pecans or pecans, however you pronounce them in there as well. Um, and and I had like a bacon uh, vinaigrette. The idea was to kind of tie in, you know, the the lardons to the flavors that were amplified in the salad with the bacon vinaigrette um, and use all of the bacon instead of like throwing away the fat, for instance. Um, and then my next course, my next course kind of changed a little bit over the time of uh, the box and it being made because we did a test shipping of it and that didn't, it didn't go exactly how I wanted to. So the original uh, idea was to have spiralized vegetables, zucchini, um, I had some asparagus in there. Um, I think some carrots. Yeah, zucchini, asparagus, and carrots were the original three uh, vegetables. And that didn't transfer well because in shipment, in uh, storage, it basically got a little bit soggy. So the vegetables didn't hold their integrity. So we switched that um, to roasted potatoes um, and asparagus as the veg. Um, and then for the for the actual protein, we did a seared salmon. Um, and then I did a mustard, kind of like a hollandaise sauce um, for that. And then dessert? Was it a Yeah, cookie? dessert. Dessert was my most exciting part, of course, because I'm a pastry chef. Um, I have trained my whole entire life in doing both pastry um, and savory food, but I have taken dessert uh, as the forefront of what my career is based off of because it ties back to my childhood and me just loving sweets like crazy and me loving art and being able to represent that well with dessert. Um, and one of the things that I loved um, about making this dessert was it has a flavor profile that I really love, which is orange creamsicle. So it's kind of like a play on crepe Suzette almost um, still along the French line, um, but also has that Americanized um, like, you know, classic, orange creamsicle flavor. So I did a orange creamsicle uh, cremeau. I did a lightly, uh, lightly sweetened whipped cream or Chantilly. Um, and then I did a crepe. And then I it had also um, some candied oranges or orange pills more specifically. Um, and it all came together really well. It also had a marmalade. Um, it all came together really well. And just like you got the idea of orange creamsicle in one bite, you know, and it was really amazing to have that come through. So it was actually a crepe rather than a cookie. Yeah. So that was a crepe. Um, and then the reason why I chose that flavor amongst the reasons that I just said are, was, you know, to basically 
showed that I was going to end up playing with those flavors and showed that I was going to end up, you know, basically for uh, forecasting to being like, hey, look at this. If you love this flavor in the beard box, you can also get it as a cookie. So it's cross-promotional by myself, yeah. which is yeah. great. That Speaking of American stuff, in that mostly French salad you put in pecans or pecans, yeah. whatever you want to call them, yeah. which is like, that's an American nut. The French would probably put in hazelnuts or something like that. So For sure, for sure, yeah. I mean, and hazelnuts go with a lot of things. I wanted to, I have this split mind when it comes to working usually. Um, I have this love for American fare in terms of like the stuff that's, you know, our classic flavors. Like I love pecan pie. That's my favorite. Like that's hands down. Um, so I wanted to play to both kind of like mindsets of uh, the French techniques and the French flavors, but also have the Americanized side of me um, come out and really showcase them both together. Makes sense. And and how how were those meal kits distributed? You did it with great performances, right? The catering company? Is yeah. That right? um, so we teamed up with great performances to distribute the meal kits. And essentially, we as chefs developed the recipes for them. Um, we went over the recipes in a couple different iterations, however many was, was needed for the recipes, um, tweaked them to our liking and to uh, the satisfaction of like the production team at great performances, work with their chef, their pastry chef as well, which they were super nice to us. Um, and Georgette as well, Georgette Farkas. And all of them helped us to create the box and figure out like, can this item be shipped? Can this item, uh, you know, last three days in, in the mailing process and all of that. I gotcha. I, I, now I understand why Georgette Farkas was at the beer dinner because I've yeah. known her for a thousand years since she was Danielle Boulou's personal assistant. And yeah. She had a restaurant and now she's working for great performances. So what what was in it for you to cook for great performances? Do you like get a cut of the sales or anything like that? Um as far as as far as the sales go, uh the the sales don't have anything to do with the uh the fellowship in that way. Uh the fellows receive a stipend at the end of their like completion of the program. Um and that's like our terms of compensation and uh, you know handling for our time and stuff like that. Um, but any sales and stuff like that go straight to uh, James Barrett House or wherever they distribute it. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay, so now let's talk about you. You went to the, why don't you tell our audience? I think they know about the Culinary Institute of America, which you are a yeah. graduate, but they, and they might know about CCAP, but they probably don't know about the Food and Finance High School, which is a great way to launch a culinary career. So, so well, let's start first of all about how, who are you and where are you from? Are you a native New Yorker? How did you how did you get involved in all this stuff? Yeah. Um I am Jaquad Austin, a native New Yorker. Um I have roots um from Flushing Queens. That's where I grew up for most of my childhood. And then I've lived in every borough since, um, except for Staten Island. Um and I lived in Queens for most of my life growing up, Flushing Queens. So I had, you know, a very mixed culture neighborhood. Um, lots of different types of foods and people to be uh, exposed to, which was great for me, especially because I was very explorative with like, I grew up a picky eater. So having all those cultures be like exposed to me was my opportunity to break those picky eating habits and to be like, hmm, what's that, you know? And I had friends who would often be like, you want to try this? And I'm like, no, I'm good. And then they act so often or they have it so often. And I'm like, you know what? Let me try it. You know, why not? Um, but yeah, that's where I'm from. 
Um, that's where I spent most of my childhood in Flushing, Queens. Then later on in life, I moved to Manhattan. I lived in Manhattan um, in Harlem for a while, and I lived on the Lower East Side for a while as well. Um, currently, I reside in Brooklyn. Um, my family's background is Portuguese, Trinidadian, and Venezuelan. Um, the side that I lean towards the most whenever I talk about my culture is probably going to be Trinidadian food or uh, Venezuelan, just because those are I have people that are closer connected to those roots um, versus like my Portuguese roots. But I do hold them all to be, you know, a part of myself. And I've been exploring them more and more because I've grown to realize that I put a lot of emphasis on the French cuisine and the American fair and, you know, Southern fair or whatever else that I've learned in school. Um, and I've not neglected, but I haven't put as much emphasis on my actual personal culture. Um, so I would say now is a great time for me in terms of taking a step back, learning more about my culture. Cause I grew up eating the stuff. I grew up surrounded by it. I just didn't grow up making it all the time. Um, my mom was a great cook and she cooked very often. And I kind of took over the kitchen at a young age as well. Like around, honestly, around the age of like 12, I like, that was my kitchen at that point. <laughs> um, but when I was cooking, I didn't really cook much of Trinidadian food. I wasn't making roti and, and uh, bush up shut or uh, curry goat or anything like that yet. Um, and now is the time for me to kind of reclaim that. What is bushup shot? I've never heard of that. Oh yeah, so it's it's basically um, I don't want to describe it wrong, but it's basically kind of like a soup that you would eat with um, what's it called? Soup that you would eat with like some type of bread, and usually it's like a roti or something similar, like a um some type of like heavy hefty bread, basically. So you dip the bread in it, and then that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, and. It it has I say that very loosely because it definitely has more to it than that, but that's essentially what it is in my mind. Because I'm as I said, I'm still educating and learning myself about these things. Yeah, I mean I've had similar food like in Malaysia where you get roti and then you get kind of a curry kind of flavored spicy broth and you dip your roti in it like that. Is it a similar kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So were you you as a Jaquad the the fussy eater? <laughs> yeah. When you are eating uh, Trinidadian and I'm guessing maybe Venezuelan food, like what what is like as like a middle class white person, maybe you would eat only buttered noodles. But as <laughs> a Trinidadian Venezuelan with Portuguese background, what does a fussy eater eat? Um, honestly, I say fussy eater, but like it's in a it's in an interesting way because that's very particular. I think I'm more of a particular eater than a fussy eater just because I had a thing with fat where I would pick off the fat off of my meat usually and I didn't want to eat that um, or like mushy textures basically. That's kind of where it comes from. I, I did not grow up liking mushy, mushy textures at all or anything that was rubbery or anything that came close to those two. Um, so if it, didn't, if it didn't have a mushy texture, like if it was oxtails and you rendered the fat, I'd totally like demolish it. Um, if it was like ribs and you totally rendered the fat, I'd demolish it. But if it had fat on it, I'd probably like pick that off and be like, maybe I don't eat that. You know, that's kind of how it was. I ate like I love vegetables. So I ate every single veg possible. Um, if fruits were around, I always ate fruits, which I'm coming back to again. Like 
I noticed I stopped buying fruits in my adulthood and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I need, like, they taste like candy now to me because I haven't had them in so long and I've been like really replenishing myself with them. And where in Brooklyn do you live? Um, I literally just moved to the Brighton Beach area oh. with my partner. Yeah. So I lived previously to this uh, place. I lived uh, in a Flatbush area, but now I live in Brighton Beach. You're a southerner now. Yeah. <laughs> I literally can see the beach actually like outside my window. It's That's crazy. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's still predominantly Russian, right? Brighton Beach? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Russian. Um, it's a, in general an immigrant neighborhood, but yeah, primarily Russian. And Flatbush is a whole mixed bag, a lot of like Caribbean, Haitian food. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, what I loved about Flatbush is I was always able to like find really good like Caribbean food in general, like whether it was Guyanese or Jamaican or Trinidadian. And great fruit. Because yeah, yeah, exactly. The fruit stands are plentiful, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I've been exploring those neighborhoods more. I I live on the other side of the park. I'm in Park Slope, so gotcha. Different, but I have easy access to all that all that great stuff. Okay, so you were living in Flushing, Flushing Queens, right? Yeah, yeah. And is that how did you hook up with the food and finance high school? Oi, so um. Boy, you're living in Yeah, <laughs> I'm an old man. Um, getting to food and finance high school was an interesting journey. Um, I kind of sum it up nowadays when I tell this story as a coin toss, because that's what it was for me. Um, I applied to two different high schools because growing up, I thought that I wanted to do something that involved art. It didn't matter what. At first, it was like music. And I did that a lot in middle school. I thought I wanted to be a vocal artist and a producer and all these different things. And I actually got heavily into it from being into band and chorus. Um, and then I've always drawn, I've always created, I've always sculpted. Um, I've always did visual arts and paintings. Um, that's actually how I got into food. But uh, in the application process in high school, I was still stuck on like, okay, I have these many talents, which one do I actually wanna make into a career and pursue? And before this time, I had already been making money off of food because when I was younger, I did a lot of art. And to sustain that art, I uh, my mom basically gave me seed money and I was like $20 at first. And I did some uh, cupcakes with like Duncan Hines mix and, you know, one of the box mixes and stuff like that. And I sold that and kept repeating that process for a while until I made my own recipes. And then that kind of got me really hooked on food. I was like, I think that this can be more of a career. So I started making my own recipes, um, started using those instead of the box misses, never looked back. Um, and that's kind of what what was planting, uh, was planted in my head as a seed for which career I would actually end up choosing. So it was a twin cost in the sense of like, when I got to high school, and I had that application process, I got into a high school that was nearby at first, because we had just moved. Um, in my uh, freshman year of high school. And I was not happy there. Academically, uh, I was happy, like the classes were amazing, but I realized they didn't offer the things that I was interested in. Um, the students, because of the neighborhood and because of their mentalities weren't the best. Um, so I transferred out and I applied to Food and Finance High School and I applied to um, Gramercy Arts High School. So for me, it boiled down to either doing visual arts um, or culinary arts. 
And food and finance high school happened to be the one that I got into first and never looked back from there. That was kind of like where the journey was like, I don't want to say where it started, but where it was like really like catalyst and, you know, this is like, this is it. So the food and finance high school, it focuses on culinary arts, but also other stuff, right? Like you get a well-rounded education. Yeah. yeah. So you still have, it's very atypical in terms of your average high school. This is a public school and people forget that all the time when they hear about the amazing programs we have. Um, but the food and finance high school is backed by a organization called the Food Education Fund. It's a 501 not-for-profit that does amazing work within the community. Um, they've helped over the pandemic actually to feed lots of people and partner with different people to grab, uh, you know, whatever they can to give back to the students, families and to families in need. Um, and over the years, they've always done stuff like that. So one thing that they've helped me with is getting my first internship, um, connecting me through CCAP, um, just making sure that I have like some type of job training. So soft skills, like how to speak. Um, how to well articulate my points and things that I have to say, um, how to navigate in the workspace, especially the culinary environment that can be very hostile sometimes, unfortunately. Um, so just a plentiful amount of resources, um, you know, go into food and finance high school. The teachers are amazing. They're very, you know, extremely dedicated. And that's everyone from the culinary teachers to the academic teachers. Um, yeah. And so then through them, you got hooked up with CCAP, the Careers exactly. in Culinary Arts program. Yeah. So through food and through the Food Education Fund and being a member of Food edu uh, food and Finance High School, both, um, that's how I found out about CCAP. And they told me um, about the competitions. And I was like, well, I want to compete. I'm a really competitive person. So I'm like, I'm going to compete. And not only did I compete in CCAP, um, but before that, backtracking a little bit, CCAP gave me my first industry job, my first official industry job. So at 16, I worked with Tiago Silva. He was the executive pastry chef at the time at a place called Union Fair. Not to be con not to be confused with Union Square, because that is a different organization. Oh, yes. um, but yeah, Union Fair was this place that is honestly the closest thing that I've seen to what I want to own one day. Um, it was split in half. And on one side, you have the more retail side that's quick. Uh, you have salads made to order, pizzas in a wood-burning stove, um, sandwiches. You have stuff that is grab-and-go items. So that was, the, that was the vibe for that. You had a bakery area as well where they served these crazy croissants um, that were like birthday cake flavored, um, red velvet, creme brulee, peanut butter and jelly, like just matcha, like insane flavors, you know, and they all had like a really good pastry filling um, of pastry cream that was flavored with whatever, you know, the the flavor was to match. Um, and in my time there, like that stuck with me. Um, on the other side was a whole fine dining scene. So you have things like um, our charcuterie station, um, a bar and then you have like open table seating where you can kind of like sit down family style and just you know sit wherever you want which is great for socializing and it was just very very inspiring for sure cool so that was your first job while well, you were still at the food and finance high school right? mm -hmm. yeah so this is 
So since I transferred, I didn't do freshman year at food uh, at food and finance high school. I came in, um, you know, the next year over, and basically that's where my journey started with them. I see. And then they got you into the Culinary Institute of America, or they paid for you to go, which is you probably um, yes and no. So the way the way my trip to Culinary Institute of America happened is I competed in three different competitions. Um, Monroe, uh, Best Chef of America, um, Pro Start as a team member, as the pastry chef. Um, and then I also competed in CCAP. So through competing in CCAP, I got a full tuition scholarship through the Russell Ferber Foundation. Um, and they paid for a full tuitions associate degree for me in baking and pastry. Um, and then I had other scholarships through... Um, the food education fund like directly and some other scholarships as well that trickled down. Um, and then I had the, I had got a half tuition scholarship from Monroe and that was for pastry and baking as well. Um, I were, I won third place in their competition. Um, and then for pro start, my team unfortunately did not win that, but it was at the culinary Institute of America and that was my first time cooking there. So that in itself was amazing to be on a campus that I've seen at that time, you know, maybe four or five times now and fell in love with easily um, to be able to cook there was really fun. And like I said, I'm a competitive person. So that was the joy that I got in it, you know, competing, um, building a bond with my teammates, um, being able to grow as a pastry chef and as a personal, you know, in my personal ways individually was really awesome. Um, but yeah, I went to college on full tuition scholarship via the Russell Ferber Foundation, and they paid for my associate's degree. Um, and that actually kind of got weird and messed up because of the pandemic. But, you know, you let me know if you want to hear about that. <laughs> we, all, we all remember the pandemic. It's all good. Yeah. You graduated. You're fine. Um, but you've been cooking for a long time, right? For like eight years you've been cooking or something like that. Yeah, I mean, so... I like to say unprofessionally, I've been cooking my entire life. Like you were baking cupcakes. From the I have, I have memories in the kitchen. You know, as young as probably like four, maybe maybe before that. You know, and my mom has pictures to to show for. But um, professionally, I would say I started taking it serious and like considering it to be a career around the age of twelve, and that's when I started. What I now put in air quotes a company. Um, I started a catering company where I would cater. Um, I went to art school as well as a um, after school and it's called Harlem School of the Arts. Um, so like a good amount of people that I know that are very well off today in different industries have come from Harlem School of the Arts. But I went there for visual arts and I went there on scholarship as well. Um, and it was funny because at the time I was a very quiet and I was a shell of myself at that time. I definitely was not this open, not this talkative, not this vibrant. Um, and I refused to even go there at first. I was like, I don't want to be here. My mom was like, no, you'll like it, whatever. Like, try it. Like, you haven't even been here yet. You just stepped in the door. Um, and I was just that shy. I was like, no, I don't want to do it. Um, but she she made me do it. And she talked me into it and stuff like that. And uh, through Harlem School of the Arts, I started doing art shows. Um, and I slowly started to become the face of the school, basically, at the time, for the visual arts department, at least. Um, and in that process, I was doing live galas for them. Um, I would do 
these tables where every now and then, every time they had a show, I set up a table with my like my baked goods. So it'd be cupcakes, empanadas, um, cookies, like whatever was on the menu for the week, basically. And that that kept me going for a long time. And whenever they did like offsite shows, I'd do those as well. Um, and then friends and family would buy. And then, you know, everything from word of mouth kind of spread from there. That's cool. But you've also cooked in a lot of restaurants, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, professionally, I've cooked in, um, oh, yeah, I want to say, let me see. After Union Fair, I cooked at The Grill. Um, and that's through Major Food Group. Um, and that was like, that's basically like. Oh, like where the Four Seasons used to be. That, that... Yeah, where the Four Seasons used to be. Um it's definitely fine dining. So um, that was my first introduction to like tippy-toeing into fine dining. Um, and then after that, I cooked at, I'm trying to get the timeline right. Because I think I went to, um, I think I went to Food Network after that, I believe. Or no, before Food Network. No, I'm sorry. It was The Grill. Um, and then I think Cafe Balloon and then Food Network. Something like that. The order gets blurry because <laughs> pandemic has messed up my timing. But basically, yeah, I've worked at places like Cafe Balloon, The Grill. Um, I've worked at EMP since 11 Madison Park, mm -hmm. uh, which is a Michelin star uh, fine dining. Cafe Balloon is also one Michelin star. So that was my first Michelin star at Cafe Balloon under uh, Chef Sean Velez. Um, since I've also worked at... Um, a bakery that recently it closed unfortunately but a bakery as a sous chef and i worked there for like a year and three months basically um it was called sweet generation and now you have your own business yes. exactly so the next venture is my own business um and this is a long time coming because this is an idea that sprung off from something that was once considered a problem now i'm presenting a solution so the problem was again you know me being faced with having these many things that i want to do and having these different visions of what i could do because of my skill set now because of how much i've grown it um i kind of had to settle with okay this is your skill set you know you can do all these things but you know wrangle it in for a second and me starting this cookie business is deciding what to focus on first and what to use as a vehicle to get to other things so jaquaz twist is my old or my attempt to bring people to a nostalgic time you know there's a lot going on in the world right now and it's basically just my attempt to create sweeter moments and moments of you know what your childhood was like so flavors that are orange creamsicle strawberry shortcake brownie batter um nutella which is a flavor that's kind of more recent in terms of like the spotlight but definitely still has a place for me and you know nostalgia um and birthday cake yeah i'm looking at your website it looks great uh and so if people want to uh purchase your cookies they should go to jaquadaustin.wixsite.com is that right yes correct so let's spell out jaquad j-a-h-q-y-a-d a-u-s-t-i-n for austin dot wix site w-i-x-s-i-t-e dot com yes there that's me giving you 
PR. So thank people you, thank you. Thanks for the plug. <laughs> pleasure. Yeah. You guys can find me also on social media at Jaquads Twist. Um, and my personal Instagram is just at Jaquads. Yes. Yeah, yes. Uh aka no, that's not what it is. AKA something chef, modern chef, right? Yes, modern chef is what it might come up as as well. Right. Yes, I found that. And uh, you have like almost 3,000 followers. So good job. Yeah. Yeah. I have to, <laughs> oh God, I have to mitigate those and and switch up a little bit because some of my audience has changed and, you know, people come out the woodworks in certain ways. So you have to kind of navigate that in sometimes. But yeah, it's it's kind of fluctuated. Well, I just started following you, just so you know. Thank you, thank you. And it was really nice chatting with you. Thanks for taking the time. And uh, congratulations on your success so far. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing all of the rest of your great adventures. Awesome, thank you.